This is episode number four of The Podcast Method. I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is December 31st, the last day of the year in 2014. And uh, I didn't get to record an episode for you last week because of Christmas and the holidays and everything. And people in town, people coming and going. And you know what? That's not what I want to do for the show. I want to do an episode for you every single week. And that's actually something I think is so important for podcasting in general. It's so important to be on a regular schedule coming out with a show. I really, in in my experience doing this now for like six years, I can tell you that the shows that come out on a regular schedule typically do better than the shows that don't come out on a regular schedule, even down to the saying, you know what? Release your show every, say, Wednesday. Well, release it every Wednesday. Be like clockwork, even if you have to bank episodes up so that you can release them on those weeks that you're going to be gone, which, again, I'm sorry I didn't do for last week. Uh, That's so important, having that regular release schedule. You don't necessarily have to release at the same exact hour of the day, although that can be helpful, but coming out with your show on that, that every day, the same day every week, does make a huge difference. I'll tell you why. I remember back to when I was uh, when I was in junior high school and high school. I would have a little radio in my in the pocket of my jean jacket, and I would have the headphone cable going up into my ear, and I would kind of sit like this so that I was leaning, and uh, I, the teacher couldn't really see that I had a, an, an earphone in. And I would listen to talk radio in class because I loved it because I didn't want to miss what was going on with these this cool cast of characters and these people that I really liked uh, on the shows. And I had a few different shows that I would listen to. And those people, to me, even though they had no idea I was even listening, let alone who I was, they felt like they were my friends, you know, like I knew the the hosts of the show and the cast of characters that were there. And it was just great fun because I felt like they were my friends and I was a, a kind of a part of this thing that was going on. I didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to miss the show. I didn't want to miss uh, even just a day of it. So when you release on a regular basis, you're setting up an expectation with your audience. They want to, they're, they're going to know like when you're coming out with that show. They say, oh, Wednesdays, Wednesday afternoons before my ride home, I get to listen to this episode of my favorite podcast. They will look forward to you and to your show and to what you folks are going to talk about on that show. So by missing a week, even if you announce, oh, we're going to miss it this week on Twitter, there's a lot of people who listen to your show that probably don't follow you on Twitter or Facebook or whatever social network or get your newsletter or however you're reaching out to people about your show or talking to your audience besides the show. So what do you do about that? Well, you know, like I, I've mentioned in, in the past, you can re- pre-record an episode, which I should have done last week. I'm sorry, but you can pre-record an episode and uh, and you can bank up uh, one or two episodes so that if you're going to be gone and you know you're going to be gone, uh, you can always have those episodes that you've pre-recorded and release them on the regular day at the regular time uh, so that they can, you know, they can publish at that regular time that people are waiting for them. Now, if you do a show that's more news focused, that's more topical, that uh, that involves more scheduling, sometimes you just can't do it. And that's OK as long as you don't make it a pattern. As long as you get into that habit of releasing that show the same day every week, it does make a big, big difference. And I can tell you again, having done this now for like six years, those shows that uh, that do uh, release on a more regular schedule, those are more successful and do better in general than the shows that don't release on a regular schedule. And some of you may be thinking to yourself uh, that, uh, you know what, I can't do a weekly show. That's okay. Uh, weekly shows do better than bi-weekly shows or monthly shows. But if you do what you can do, it's still more important to go and have fun and do the show that you want to do. But try to be on a regular schedule and let your listeners know what to expect. If it's a bi-weekly show, at the top of the show, say, you're listening to the most awesome TV review show. It's a bi-weekly show where we do this, that, and the other thing. That's super important to set expectations. Bi-weekly, okay. Monthly, okay. But whatever your schedule, whatever your uh, release schedule is, be as consistent as possible. People will forgive you if you take a week off for Christmas, um, but but try to let them know and try to be consistent and and recover from it. Uh, So that's one little tip. I'm actually going to – my bigger topic this week and a question that I've got uh, uh, many times from you folks who are asking me questions on Twitter uh, is – 
How do you create? Because you've heard me talk about rooms that are quiet, that are good to record. And people ask me, how do I do that? How do I make a room that is going to be a good one to record in? Uh, Not just if you have kids running around, and I'll talk about that too, but how do I just, I've got a great room how do I make it so that it, it, it's not as noisy as it is? How do I keep sound from bouncing off the walls and recording so I sound like I'm in a reverb chamber? I'll talk about all that. That's going to be my bigger topic uh, later today. But before I do that, I want to jump in and talk uh, a little bit also about these great questions that have been coming in over Twitter. You guys, I would absolutely not be able to do this show if you weren't asking these great questions. So please, please, please keep them coming. The way to do that. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. And when you ask the question, use the hashtag podcast method. I see all of those. I've got them right here, right now on the screen in front of me so that I will answer them all as I go through uh, and and do this show. I can't say I will answer them all. I'm trying to answer them all as I go through. Uh, But it's, uh, it's super important that you asked me there because that way I can go in, I can see them, I can review them, I can find what the trend is that a lot of people are asking. So thanks to that. And also thanks again to everybody who's supporting this show uh, on Patreon. The link to go and do that, if, if you like this show or like what we do at 5 by 5 we need your help. Go to patreon.com slash 5 by 5 Donate whatever you feel is fair, a dollar, a thousand dollars, whatever you want. Uh, We appreciate it. And it it absolutely helps us uh, do all of this stuff uh, that we do. Okay, so here we go. Some questions submitted by you guys on Twitter. Hunter Thornsberry asks, what is the length of time between submitting a podcast to iTunes and having it go live? This is a great, great, great question. Uh, Most people... When you submit a show, you will see it within a week. That's been my experience. Uh, What are they talking about? What's going on behind the scenes for people who haven't done this yet, for people who are just recording or thinking about starting a show? What's the process? Well, the first step is making whatever that website is because you always need a website of one kind or another to host your show. You're going to be making a simple, it can be a simple, straightforward, you know, white page, black text, simple as you want or as elaborate as you want, you can make this website, you post your show to it, and that show is going to be carried on an iTunes-compatible RSS feed. What the heck does that mean? Well, I will leave it as an exercise to you, the listener, to go and research what an RSS feed is, but a simple explanation of that is it is an XML file that follows a certain format that allows you to syndicate your content out to the whole world. And there are extensions onto this format that uh, include something like iTunes extensions. And uh, it allows iTunes to pull additional data from this RSS feed about your show. Fortunately, you don't need to hand code these things anymore. Uh, many, many sites out there, site building tools, whether it's WordPress or Squarespace or uh, tons of other ones, allow you to generate these RSS feeds. It generates it for you. It puts in all the iTunes metadata and information in it for you so you don't have to worry about it. And then you point when you're submitting your show to iTunes, and there's a little area in, uh, in iTunes where you go to submit a podcast, it will pull this information and, uh, and, and get it going. Beginner mistake that I see a lot, you can't submit your show to iTunes until you've published an episode. That may seem obvious, But you might kind of want to get a jump on it and think, oh, you know what? I've got this brand new show, you know, Dan's best podcast ever. And I want to, uh, I want to submit this thing. Well, until there's that first episode, iTunes will reject it, but it'll still take them a little bit of time to reject it. So don't uh, submit it to iTunes until there is that first episode there. And a lot of the time you'll see somebody say, hey, here's our new show. Go check it out. And you'll, there'll be 20 replies saying, I want to, but it's not in iTunes yet. That's, That's because you need to have that first episode out before you can actually submit the show to iTunes. People also ask, how do you get the show into, you know, Instacast or Downcast or Overcast or whatever? Uh, The way that you do that typically is through submitting it to iTunes. Most of those, uh, those podcast players, those podcast apps on iOS and Android are going to pull data in one way or another from iTunes anyway. So if your show is submitted to iTunes, it's kind of like the, uh, the mothership for, uh, for getting your show into those other apps as well. 
So that's just something to know about that uh, important submission process. Um, Related to this, a number of other people have asked me, uh, for example, Johnson Page says, do you need a custom CMS or what features does the CMS need to have for podcasting? A number of people have asked me what CMS I use. Did I build it? Why did I build it? Does it have to be custom? Well, for those who don't know, CMS stands for Content Management System. This is basically an electronic publishing tool, something that allows you to put your podcast on the web. When I started 5 by 5 back um, in 2009, there were no, it, it, and I did a lot of research, there were no tools that worked the way I wanted them to work and that I felt could handle doing the kinds of things that I wanted to do uh, behind the scenes to eliminate a lot of the, the grunt work of creating a show, posting a show, updating it, and that type of thing. There just weren't a lot. And there still aren't a lot, to be honest, but there definitely weren't any back then. I evaluated pretty much every content management system out there, free and paid, and I spent a couple weeks working with a few of them uh, to see if I could kind of uh, convince them to work the way that I wanted them to work. My background, in case you don't know, um, I, uh, I, I spent probably before I got into podcasting, I did software development and engineering and IT, and, uh, and I was even a CTO at a couple different startups, a crazy world out there. And I did that for you know almost 15 years, I guess, before I got into doing podcasting full-time. And I, I know how to build software. I'm not saying it's the best, but I know how to build it. And I knew that for me, trying to tweak these different systems that existed already to do what I wanted them to do was actually going to be more work and, uh, and, and had less certainty to it than if I just said, you know what? I've been doing Ruby on Rails. Heck, I've spoken at Ruby on Rails conferences a few times. I know how to do this. I'll just roll up my sleeves and write it. The downside to that is, of course, when there's a problem, I'm the guy that has to fix it. So I still spend probably way too much time tinkering and tweaking and working on stuff to, to make the publishing tool work the way that we want it to work. Uh, but today, fortunately, you, you don't have to do that. You can, absolutely you can, uh, but you don't have to. Uh, why? Because you do have things like Squarespace and WordPress that has great uh, extensions that you can use. Drupal is pretty much customizable to do kind of anything that you want. But as a starting point, and this is another question that a lot of people ask me, what do I need to do this? Like, how do I go out there and make a website that is going to have uh, podcast capabilities? And how do I do this on the cheap? And where do I host the files? And is there a free solution out there? There are so many solutions out there today. And yes, Squarespace is a sponsor of ours at 5x5, uh, but I absolutely would not recommend them for this if I didn't think that you could use Squarespace as a starting point and maybe even well beyond a starting point to publish your your shows. Uh, you can use Squarespace, and if you use one of the codes from one of our uh, one of our shows, I think you can start at like eight bucks a month and you can post your shows on there. Use that as a, it's a wonderful starting point. It'll grow with you. Uh, so that's my recommendation for where to go. And remember how before when I said RSS feeds with iTunes compatible content in them, they'll generate that for you automatically. You can also look at Libsyn as a, a hosting platform. I know people that are using SoundCloud as a platform for that. Lots and lots of choices. You don't have to custom build stuff on your own. Why did I again and why haven't I changed? Because I really like the tool that I built. Uh, I, I actually have a new version of it coming out with a new website as soon as it's done. Uh, when will that be? I don't know. But it's, you know, it's something that I've spent so many years building software. I know what I want. I know what we need to build a, a software to drive a network like this. But my recommendation for you is don't, don't waste your time doing that when there are tools out there. Wait until you get to the point where you're like, okay, this tool that we've been using for six months can't do what we needed to do. Let's look at building our own or let's look at getting something custom or let's look at a different solution. Get, let those not be the barriers to you getting your awesome show out there. Don't let the technology be the thing that holds you back. It's the last thing in the world that you want. And you know what? Eight bucks a month, 10 bucks a month is, is not a lot of money to spend on a hobby. Go ask a fly fisherman how much he or she spends uh, on lures every time they go out fishing. 
or on the, you know, on the rod or on the boots or whatever, like pick your hobby and look at how much goes into that. Forget remote control cars. You can spend a small fortune building those things. Eight bucks, 10 bucks a month and, and 80 bucks on a microphone to get started. And that's not a lot for this hobby. Uh, so, you know, consider spending a little bit of money and you will get a lot uh, in return. But anyway, the system that we built, a lot of people have asked me, Dan, can I buy this or are you going to open source it? You know, I don't know if I did something like that. If I were to put essentially the, the CMS that powers 5 by 5 out there, I believe it would get a lot better because there would be people in the open source community who would want to contribute to it and help it and make it better. Um, but on the other hand, if I was going to put it out there, I would want very much to support it. I would want, especially if we were ever selling it, we'd have to support it. And that's not our wheelhouse, right? Our wheelhouse is putting out the best possible shows that we can. The CMS is just a tool, one of many. Um, so getting that out there, uh, is, it's just not a priority for us. If enough people were to tell me on Twitter that I have to do it, well, maybe, maybe we'd look at it again. Uh, but right now, my message to you is just don't let the technology be a barrier. There's tons of stuff out there. Uh, start with Squarespace. Start with the WordPress plugin. Uh, look at Libsyn. Look at SoundCloud. Just get it out there. Start talking about it and, and, and make something that's really awesome. Uh, so that's hopefully an answer to that question. A related question is, is tracking. I've talked a lot in the past about how we track. And I will, I will say this again to be very clear. Uh, sponsors, if that's what you're going for, if you want to make a little bit of money, sponsors don't care about so-called subscribers. What is a subscriber? Well, back in the days, it was the number of people that would, uh, that would be downloading your RSS feed per day or per month, however you wanted to measure it. That's a subscriber. So knowing that in the website is kind of interesting, but Web advertisers don't really care about subscribers either, except to newsletters. They want to know with newsletters, but not websites and certainly not podcasts. What advertisers want to know is how many individual unique human beings have downloaded your show. I've explained in the past about range requests. These can uh, create misleading download numbers, especially for a novice podcaster who's uh, not sure how to track their downloads. If you're looking at like Amazon S3 download counts, if that's where you're hosting your show, those are not very accurate. Uh, but if you're using tracking software, whether it's from PodTrack or Libsyn or uh, even SoundCloud, they're much better about tracking uh, the number of downloads. We have a product that we call FeedLayer. It's at FeedLayer.com. Uh, I haven't opened this up to the masses yet, but we've been using it to track all of the shows that are on five by five and all the shows that we sell for out outside of five by five and our little ad agency, um, that, um, to, to track those individual unique human beings downloading it. Now where there, where this falls down and, and advertisers know this too, is I have an iPhone right here next to me. And I also have a computer here in front of me that's running iTunes. There's no way to, and you know what? I guarantee you that the other people that are in this office working here at 5x5 also have phones and computers that download our own shows. Well, is there a way to differentiate between, you know, uh, a download of this episode on my iPhone to Overcast with one of my colleagues who's, you know, using Instacast on their iPad? No. Uh, th there's no way to prove that those are different people. And in fact, if my own computer downloads it on iTunes and I download it on, you know, on downcast on my iPhone, is that separate users? No, it's, it's still one. It's very, very hard to tell those people apart. So we don't really worry about that in the podcast download space, but uh, filtering out range requests, seeing uh, where and how people are playing these things can give you a really good look at it. And it's much better than just counting downloads because as we've explained in, in I think episode one, range requests can really mess that up. So it's important to use as much um, intelligence as you can to try and tell how many real downloads are happening. This is absolutely critical if you're going to go out there and, and sell, giving them accurate, true, real numbers. Uh, people have also asked, does it matter at all? Uh, does it matter if you hit play on the website versus downloading it in Downcast versus uh, any of the other apps that are out there or iTunes? If you're tracking it and all of those different applications are pulling from the same source, from the same original source, that is your website or wherever it is that you host 
those downloads, uh, those original MP3 files? The answer is no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's played on uh, an iOS app that's downloaded it, on the web page, in iTunes. They're all pulling from the same place. So all of those downloads are going to be counted by whatever tracking software that you're hopefully using uh, to track this. And if you really want me to release FeedLayer, if that's something you guys really, really want, um, tell me on Twitter and, and that we can definitely look at doing that. Um, because I think, I think tracking and accurate tracking that we've invested so much time building a, a tool that's useful for it, uh, that's, it's important. It's important because I think it's a good measure of the industry. We want to know if, you know, if your show's getting a thousand downloads, is that a thousand real downloads or is it really getting 5,000 or is the show you think is this blockbuster hit that seems to be getting a hundred thousand downloads a week, actually getting 10. You want to know that. So that's why we built this tool and we've been using it for years. It's super important for us because we're selling sponsorships. Um, And that's another topic I want to talk about is the sponsorship uh, sales process. Um, It's it's a tough one. And that's another topic I'll talk about today after we talk about acoustic panels. But before we do all of that, I would like to tell you about our sponsor and then I'll tell you about how we got them as a sponsor. How's that sound? Uh, Our sponsor today is Audible. Now, how am I going to do this read? Normally, I don't talk about how I'm going to do a read. I just go and do it, right? Well, I'm sitting here looking at this read. This read, that says Audible at the top, is something that was prepared and written in collaboration with uh, my producer and, uh, and the, the sales director, Hattie Cook, and uh, the folks over at Audible. We go through this sales process where, uh, that I'll explain in a minute, and it, the end result is this read that's right here in front of me. And I'm looking at it on my computer screen. It's in Google Docs right now. Uh, a lot of the time I like to print it out, like I told you, but today... We uh, ran out of printer paper. So here it is on my screen. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at this read. Now, I've already read it. I've already practiced it. I already know uh, pretty much what I'm going to say, but the details are here. So I'm using this read instead of something that I'm just, I'm just reading as it is on the screen, then I'm, I'm going to actually uh, kind of talk to you about it. That takes practice. It's a good thing to practice it beforehand and familiarize yourself with it because here's what you don't want. Audible is the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment information. No one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that. Everybody else who's doing an Audible read is going to read that to you. Even though we customize it and tweak it, it sounds too much like the other stuff. It's just not, you want to make it your own. And I think Audible's awesome. Like I have used Audible for years and years and years, and I think it's an awesome service. So when I get an audiobook, which they call spoken word entertainment, because it's more than just books, right? This is the place that I go to to get it. That's it. So, man, am I lucky to be able to talk about something that I love and that I use myself, right? But here's here's their pitch, right? Content from Audible, spoken word entertainment. They've got information. They've got educational programming. You download it and you play it back on your phone, your portable device, your computer. And they are the best solution for digital audiobooks. They have more than 150,000 titles to choose from. I have to admit... I, when I listen to an audiobook, it's almost always fiction stuff. But you know what? Nonfiction, last time I took a road trip, I listened to Steve Martin, Born Standing Up. This is a great story about how he like started his whole stand-up act and his, his journey of his career pretty much up until he got like super famous. And he narrates it. That's the best possible thing about an audiobook is like the author themselves is telling you their story, right? How awesome is that? They've got a free app for iPhones, iPads, Android, and Windows phone. And you download it and you listen. And here's the cool thing. Unlike a streaming service or a rental service, Audible, you own the book. You have access to this thing called My Library. Your books anytime, anywhere, you know, right from your phone. You can switch back and forth because they have this thing called WhisperSync for voice, switching back and forth between reading it on your Kindle or your Kindle app and listening to the audiobook without losing your place or missing a word. Like, this is the cool stuff, right? 30-second rewind, super useful when you're, like, paying tolls on the highway. I can tell you that. And so listeners of this show, here's what you get. You get a free audiobook of your choice. That's free, like yours forever for real, not just if you're a paying subscriber, like you get it and it's yours and a free 30-day trial membership. They've made a special URL for you guys, audiblepodcast.com slash podcast method. Let me say that again, 
audiblepodcast.com slash podcast method. Special URL just for you guys. Support the show and go get a free book. Like, that's awesome, right? So go check it out. Audiblepodcast.com slash podcast method. Thanks very much for them for supporting the show. How did we get to that point? How did we, meaning me and, uh, and, and, and now you guys, get to the point where you could hear me saying that to you and where I'm getting compensated for doing that? How does that whole process work? Well, it takes a lot of time. Basically, uh, unless you have a big blockbuster hit show featured in iTunes, big deal for a while, sponsors are probably not going to reach out to you. They have to figure that out and hear about it. Audible, for example, Squarespace is another example. Um, these are the kinds of, sh- of companies that will reach out to you. Most don't. Most you have to go and contact. You have to reach out to them and you have to explain to them why they should give you money. Why should they give you money? Oh, well, we, we have a really great show. Okay, tell us more about the show. How many downloads does it get? Where can I go and listen to it? What kind of awards has it received? Well, most of the time, you're going to say, well, I think we get about a thousand downloads a month on an episode or wait, no, that's all the shows combined, total thousand. Well, they're not going to be that interested in giving you money. You need to have the downloads and you need to be able to tell them accurately about those downloads. But look at your show from an outside standpoint first. What is it about your show that makes it different from all of the other shows? There's a a, a podcast that joined 5x5 not too long ago. Uh, It's created by several women, and they talk about uh, topics that are interesting to 20-something women. But to be honest, they're interesting to uh, 20-something and and older men, too. It's not just 20-something women, but they have an audience that that is this interesting demographic of 20-something women. Well, There are not a lot of podcasts out there that reach that demographic. So when we're out there selling for them, uh, that's the pitch, right? Like we have access to this demographic that's not 25 to 45-year-old dudes who want to talk about the Xbox, you know? Like it's a very different kind of uh, kind of audience. What does your show do? What do you have to offer? So what if you have 300 downloads a week, right? That company that you're soliciting, that you're trying to get to buy, they're going to get interested in your show if you can explain to them why your audience and your content is special. Are you, uh, are you a writer in this certain space? Great. Say, I'm a writer in this space. Or do you have 50,000 Twitter followers? Tell them that. Even if your show has 500 downloads, I've got 50,000. Well, maybe we should pay attention to you. Explain to them. But don't let the answer of no be discouraging to you. Don't be discouraged if they say, oh, not right now, or let's wait until your show's a little bit bigger. That's a very normal answer. They want to see your show get bigger. So you know what? Like I've said in the past, start up a Patreon. See if you can get people to support. If, if, you, can get, if you can get 10, 20, 30 people to give you a dollar a month, a couple months, you're going to get enough money for that microphone that you want to buy. And your show's going to sound better. And you're going to get more downloads. And you're going to tell your listeners, please go rate it on iTunes. Please go tweet about the show and listenership will grow and grow and grow. And then when you go back to that sponsor and say, hey, you know, let it, sponsor the show, they'll be like, oh, right. Yeah, I remember you. Sure. We'll, we'll sponsor the show now. You've got a few, you got 10,000 downloads a week per episode. Okay. Yeah, well, we're interested, but it takes time and you have to be able to show those real downloads to them. You want to be able to give them real numbers and they're going to want reports back. They're going to want to say episode number 27 that we sponsored. How many downloads did it get accurately? How many? You have to be able to tell them that. I'm not saying they're going to want to scan a list of 10,000 downloads and make sure that they're real, but they want real numbers and they're going to trust you with that for now. But I don't think it's uh, we're way off from seeing them want to require a system, whether it's FeedLayer or PodTrack or Libsyn or something else, almost them saying, we really want you to use this system because we trust it and we work with enough people who use it. So use that system, please, and, uh, and show us those numbers so we know that they're real. We're moving in that direction. Just know that because it's probably a year off or more before there is a you know, definitive solution. Uh, but, but we're definitely moving in that direction. Uh, but you've now reached out to them. They've said yes. The sponsor has said yes. What's involved? I recommend uh, 
having a written agreement with them and take time. And if, if you're serious about doing this, uh, you can look at contracts all around on the internet, Google for them, and you can see what a basic IO insertion order or a contract is going to look like. And you should use that as a, a basis for your own contract. And yes, it is critically important. Why? Because there are a number of fundamental things that you're going to want uh, to, to, to list in here. For example, a sponsor is going to want to know what episode and when that episode is coming out, their spot is going to be on. Because they're going to probably want to listen to it. So they're also going to need the time code that that sponsorship happens during the show. What you didn't see, because this isn't the video show, is that when I started that Audible read a few minutes ago, I put a little marker down. After the show has been edited, and really with this show, there really isn't very much editing. It's just me talking and talking. Uh, I'm going to take that time code and put it into our portal. Yeah, we build software for this. Because when you have 30, 40 shows or, or that, uh, that we do on 5x5, plus the other 50 that we sell for, our sponsors want to be able to jump right to the point in the show that their sponsorship happened without having to scrub through it. Probably not a big deal for you if you've got one show and you're selling a couple spots, but, but when you're doing this at a, a larger scale, having a system like that, you, you need that. Your sponsors really need that and they really appreciate it. But if you're just selling for like one show, not that big of a deal. You can say, oh, your sponsorship happened at 34 minutes and 18 seconds. And here's a direct link to the MP3 file. And here's a web page. And uh, as of today, it's gotten 5,718 downloads at this time. So here's the information you need. And they'll probably want that again in another two weeks or maybe 30 days uh, so that they can get a feel of did they get what they paid for. What a sponsor wants typically in podcasting is they want something called a conversion. They want to know how many of those uh, listeners or how many of those downloads converted into a sale for them. So Audible is going to be looking at this show and they're going to be saying, how many people went to audiblepodcast.com slash podcast method? Well, that's easy for them to look at that. It's very easy. They have, you know, hit trackers and, and things like that, that they can say, oh, you know what? A thousand people went there. Or 10,000 people went there. They can look at that. And they can say, of those 10,000 people who actually followed the link, which is great, how many of them actually signed up using that link and downloaded a free book and used the 30-day trial? How many of them did that? Well, they can see that. They can connect that then, and they can come back and say, what is the CPA, cost per acquisition? They, they have a number that they're trying to hit. It might be a dollar, it might be $50, but they have some number internally that says based on how much they spent to buy a sponsorship of the, of the show, how much did, did that return to them? What, what was the cost per getting that? If that number's hitting the target that they have, they'll throw more money and more money and more money and they will spend all of their advertising budget as long as you can hit that mark for them. So what that means is it's really important for you guys to like go to the URLs and try out the stuff that the, the podcasts that you love are advertising for. If you listen to it and you're like, ah, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to try that. Even just going to the URLs of these podcasts will make a huge difference uh, for, for them, even if you don't sign up. Although, of course, signing up and using a service like don't sign up for stuff you don't need or you don't want. But definitely support the shows that you'd like by going through and saying, you know, yeah, I'd like a free book or, you know, I want to try this website out or I need a new pair of glasses or whatever. That really helps the shows. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's how it works is those companies that are sponsoring are trying to see how much money uh, have I made based on, uh, based on how much I've spent. And they have a target number that they're going for. And if they hit it, they'll keep coming back because they know that your show is performing for them. Frequently, when we're talking to sponsors about different shows, uh, they will, they'll say, oh, you know what, this show is underperforming a little bit. So maybe we'll take a little bit of a break from that, but we're going to try these other two or three shows next time and see how they do. And then, you know, next month they come back, wow, that one that we tried, that, they're do, you, that show's doing really, really great. We'd like, we'd like to book out six months of that show. That happens. And in order to get to that point, you're going to have to give them a discount and uh, most likely and, uh, and uh, because they're booking long term. Uh, but you also have to have a good track record with them. 
So those bigger sponsors, when you hear sponsors that that are consistently advertising, what that means is that uh, you've got a lot of shows in, in the can already and that that show has been a performer. So never get upset if you hear a sponsor multiple times on a, on a podcast over a course of, of weeks or months. It just means the podcast is doing great. So be happy for them and, and go check out the sponsor. Uh, that's, that's the big takeaway for this that I, I hope you guys are getting is that this is a long process to get from I have a show that I want you know, to make some money with to actually hearing that read. That can take weeks and weeks and weeks. And typically these companies have like a net 60. That means that they're going to take potentially two months after they get your invoice to pay it. So just keep these things in mind. Selling podcast uh, sponsorships is hard and it's time consuming and it takes a lot of work. Uh, that's why we started Archer Avenue uh, so that we could help other shows uh, make money by, you know, connecting them with the sponsors that we have since we're already doing that work. But man, it is hard. It is a lot of work. And, uh, and you know, it, it can be worth it. If you've got a great show with a great audience, it can absolutely be worth it. So before I get into the bigger topic of how to treat a room, how to make it acoustically cool for podcasting in, I just want to do a couple more quick Twitter questions. Boris Kailworth says, how do you prepare content and questions for interview shows and how for regular shows? Wonderful question. Um, I absolutely love the interview format for a show. I love it. Uh, how do you prepare? It, it really comes down to, to, uh, to just doing research, researching both the topic and the guest. Usually uh, you can research both of those things on the internet. Uh, you can you can go and read if, – if you're interviewing somebody who's written, read everything that they've written for the past year if you can. Uh, if they've worked on projects, familiarize yourself with those projects. If they're outspoken on a certain topic, research that topic or the body of work that they've done. Uh, as much as possible, research, research, research. It's the only way to do justice to the guest and they're spending their time. You know, Like they're taking time out of their life to go and be on your show. So the least you can do is take time out ahead of it so that when they show up, you're not like, oh, so what do, what do you do? Say, you know, I, I understand you worked on this project. How did you contribute to it? Big difference. And that shows a lot of respect and caring. And that's the difference also between a great interview and a good interview uh, is the interviewer's understanding of the interviewee and of their, of their work. So it's just, it's just research. Now, how do I prepare the actual questions you have to get interested. You have to be interested in the person and the topic. If you're not interested, it will show. But most likely, if you're wanting to interview somebody, you're already kind of interested in them. You're already kind of interested in what they do and what they're all about. Just allow yourself to really get interested in it. Allow yourself to really get excited about what that person has done and let that be contagious to your listeners. When someone comes on and they're asking you questions, or you're asking them questions, rather, uh, you know, like, like get interested in it, get excited about it. I'm sure that you went out and saw a movie and afterwards you got home or you were talking to your friend the next day at work. You're like, oh man, that was the best movie I've ever seen. And here's what was so awesome. It was so funny. The actors are so good. The effects were great. You have to have that kind of contagious enthusiasm. Uh, and if you can't, maybe you shouldn't be doing interviews because that's, that is the core of doing, uh, doing a, uh, a really good interview. Billy Sangster has a related question. Longtime uh, listener, Billy, he's great. Uh, interview technique, what's best, formal interview questions or conversational format or a bit of both? For me, personally, I do generally do not have written questions. I may have a basic outline of topics that are, that are listed out, but I typically will not have uh, formal interview questions. Um, I will say I'm the only person that I know that does not have formal interview questions. Uh, I really just never liked that. I spend a lot more upfront time, like I was saying, researching and getting excited about it. I'll make a, a number of points or, or topics that I might want to hit, but I like to let the conversation unfold naturally. Um, there might be one or two, three questions that I know I want to ask that I don't want to forget to ask, but I'll never force a question. If that question doesn't come out naturally through the course of the conversation, I won't be like, I have one more question for you. I would like to know in, uh, you know, 1987 when you, no, I just don't work like that because for me, what makes a great interview is, is a great conversation. 
And of course, there are things you might want to know. Well, write those questions down. Ask them if you can. This is my advice. It's my own interview style. And it's not something that I, I learned by reading. It's something that I, I just sort of, it just sort of developed over the years of, of doing this and of listening to my favorite interviews. There are so many great Charlie Rose interviews out there and I know he's got notes and I know he's familiarized himself with the people that he's talking to, but it never sounds like he is reading a formal question, although I know he's got them. Uh, I feel like he's great at, at conversation. Uh, you know, uh, classic interview talk shows, late night talk shows, Dick Cavett, you know what I mean? Like never sounded like they were reading questions. And I, I like that. And I really appreciate that. Um, so that's pretty much my, my take on it. Okay. Now for the big topic of this week's show, uh, the slightly technical one, but not really Brecky Thomason asked multiple times on Twitter, uh, tips for reducing ambient room noise and echo. And the bigger question here is, uh, how do you, how do you treat a room to make it good for podcasting in? Really great question. Uh, the, the short answer is acoustic paneling, but the long answer is when I was moving from uh, Florida to Texas, uh, I was uh, staying in a rental home, but not like a long-term rental home. It was like a vacation home where you rent it for like a few days or a couple of weeks at most. And we were using that as our sort of home base while we figured out, okay, we want to rent or buy a house here uh, in Austin. Uh, but we need a home base. Like we've got uh, a child and we can't just like stay in a hotel. We need a place to live. Well, I knew that I was going to be recording podcasts from this space uh, because I was already doing five by five and, and had been for a few years already. And I knew I was going to get there and like I needed to record. Well, where was I going to do it? A closet. This was one, and I was looking before the, uh, this, uh, I started recording this episode, I was looking for some pictures and I did find a few. I may post them uh, somewhere soon, but it was a small, I would say maybe six foot or five foot long uh, by maybe three foot wide sort of walk-in closet. And it had all of our clothes hanging in it. And it was incredibly claustrophobic and I had two computers in there and a microphone on a, on a stand and, uh, and I, it was in, sweltering in the heat. And I just remember standing in here uh, under the little light bulb recording shows, you know, doing at the time I was doing like two shows a day. It took a lot out of me to be in that tiny little cramped space. But I remember when I sent the audio to Jim Metzendorf, who you heard uh, in, uh, in an earlier episode of this show talking about... Uh, compression and compression techniques. He was doing the audio engineering for me at the time. And, uh, and I sent him some audio and he said, dude, he said, that's the, you, you sound better than you've ever sounded. What are you doing? I said, uh, I'm standing in a tiny little uh, walk-in coat closet. He's like, stay in there because this is what you call dead space. Like all of the sound was being deadened. There was no reverb. There was nothing bouncing off of, uh, of the walls, creating an echo. There was no slapback. There was no noise from other parts of the house. It was just completely quiet and dead. And it was like just my voice into the mic. And it sounded awesome because there were a small space with tons of clothes in it, absorbing all of that extra sound. That's what you want to go for. I'm not saying it has to be a tiny little closet uh, that's, that's claustrophobic and uncomfortable. Uh, but you're trying to go in and, and deaden that extra sound, that sound that's, that you don't want picked up by your microphone. In other words, everything except your voice. You don't want anything else being picked up. So how do you do that if you have, you know, like your home office that you're working in or uh, a conference room at, uh, at, your, at your workplace? I'll tell you what, conference rooms are the worst they're the worst because they're usually small. They usually don't have that much uh, by way of like padded furniture or whatever, but like a sofa, a sofa is great for absorbing sound. Uh, you know, having soft furniture, pillows, things like that in a natural space, those things are going to be great. But the smaller the room, the easier it's going to be to kind of contain that sound and control that sound. Well, Here's an old trick if you don't have that kind of space. Get a comforter or a big quilt or something thick and where you're going to be sitting at your desk, prop it up in such a way so that you are speaking 
toward your microphone, but that behind the microphone against that wall or whatever surface you're speaking into, put the, the, the big comforter or the big blanket down over that space. And if you want to go really crazy, put it over yourself like a tent. Don't laugh. This is really, really great, even for people who do like field recording. I've often heard stories of people who did stuff at NPR when they were on a scene that they would actually have a blanket and they would go and drape the blanket and they'd be inside of a blanket recording into a microphone. Do whatever works and experiment. And yeah, it might look silly, but who cares? The results are probably going to be pretty good. If you want to step up from draping a blanket around, you can go and you can get very affordable acoustic panels uh, from a variety of prices. Now, what I've done is I've put a few of these into the show notes for this show. Uh, you can go and see those links by going to 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash four. And right there are going to be links to some companies and to some panels that uh, that I've bought from before and that I've used. Now, here at 5 by 5 we've got a dedicated audio recording room. It's got a standing desk because I like to stand when I record. Uh, they can they can lower down to sit position if you want. Uh, and then we've got a conference table, a big black conference table with microphone booms mounted in it uh, so that I can have, you know, four or five people in here all talking, sitting comfortably, that kind of thing. This whole room has been treated with these acoustic panels uh, that I actually think I should have probably more of them in here. But the whole point, the whole goal is to make it so that my voice or the voices of the people in here aren't bouncing off the walls and being picked up by each other's microphones, being picked up again by my own microphone, making that reverb or echoing type sound and absorbing as much of that as I can. The floor is also carpeted. That makes a big difference. Um, the, the smaller the space, the easier it is to contain the sound and the fewer of these panels that you're going to need. Uh, most of these panels attach to their, their foam, right? So they're almost like egg crate kind of material. And yeah, you can go out and buy at like a Michaels or a fabric store or something. You can just go and buy that egg crate stuff and tack that up to your wall. Yeah, that will make a huge difference. You'll be shocked at the difference that it makes. Uh, so, so even that, but you can go and buy formal acoustic panels, which are designed with these little baffles that control the, uh, help control the sound and, and cut down on that reverb and put them along the walls. I know some people that put them up only when they're going to podcast and then they take them down again. I've seen people who will attach them to a thin board, like they'll go to a Home Depot or Lowe's and buy a board and, uh, attach them or even just like, one of those foam core boards that you can buy at like an office supply store and they'll attach them and they'll put them up right behind their microphone so that when they're talking there, you don't get that reverb. Uh, even you'd be surprised. You can even get reverb from your computer screen if you're too close to it when you're podcasting. And yeah, people will hear it. They will notice it. So that's a starting point. There are also these really great, if you're serious about it, you're building out like a legit studio. You can even go out there and get panels that are, that are uh, custom designed, custom shaped panels with, uh, that are really good at absorbing sound. And you can take these panels and you can even get things screen printed onto them. You can get artwork printed onto them. So it looks like a piece of art in a frame, but in fact, it's a sound panel. You can go crazy with this stuff. Uh, your spouse might appreciate that if you're planning on doing it like in your home den or living room. But just remember that the more things that are in the room, the more they will absorb the sound. And the softer those things are, the better they'll be at absorbing that sound. So if you already have a home office and you've got a sofa in there and you've got a rug or carpet on the floor and you've, you, you, know, you, you can just go and get one or two little panels and put it up around where you're talking and put those things in the closet when you're done every week, those are really, really great, and they will make a huge difference. This stuff does not have to be expensive. Just don't, don't think that, uh, that acoustic panels uh, have to be expensive. I have spent everything from, you know, 20 bucks to hundreds of dollars. We probably have, I don't know, six, $700 worth of paneling in this big room that we have that we record in all the time. Uh, you don't need that. You can go there and you can spend, you know, 30 bucks and get some basic acoustic wedge soundproofing studio foam. And uh, you can put that up on a board or attach it to your wall. They come in all different kinds of colors. Uh, you'd be surprised what you can get for a very affordable price. So I have some links here to the company that we used and also to some things on Amazon. Uh, you know, you can get like, like I'm telling you, you can get a six pack of one foot by one foot panels for like 33, 34 bucks. And again, you want to make something that sounds great, you're going to have to spend a little bit of money on it. But 
It's not that much money and it will make a huge, huge, huge difference. Uh, especially again, if you have a condenser style microphone as opposed to a dynamic style microphone. Uh, however, regardless of whether it's dynamic or condenser, you're probably still going to need some audio dampening stuff. And you may just find that having that up in the room makes the room sound better in general. I know some people who have a house that has one of those giant vaulted ceilings and their kids are running around and it sounded like an echo chamber. And they actually went and got some of the acoustic panels, the really nice ones that, that, you know, you can get like fabric lined and covered, not like the kind that look like a recording studio. And they got these and they got them so that they matched like the color of the wall and they put them up way up high on the walls. You didn't even notice them. And man, did it ever cut down the sound in that room? It doesn't sound like an echo chamber anymore. So uh, I think I'll leave you guys with that next week. Uh, I think we're going to be talking more in depth uh, on the tech part about, uh, about EQ because this is something that goes hand in hand with compression. And people are always asking me, great, I've got the compression thing down now, Dan, but how do I do the EQ part? How do I make somebody sound really good? Why do they sound all nasally? Or the recording of that guest that I had, they sounded terrible. I want to add some bass back to their voice. They sounded you know, like they're in a tin can. Can you help? Yes, the answer is yes. And I'm going to have a tech expert on to talk about the, uh, the art of EQ. So that'll be in next week's episode. I just want to thank everybody uh, as I close out this episode and close out the year 2014. Thank you to everybody who's taken the time to, uh, to tweet me, to email, to, uh, you know, to, to go to iTunes, go to the trouble of getting on your iTunes account and rating the show, reviewing the show. It, it means so much to me. And thanks even more to the people who are going to Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash 5 by 5 and supporting this show. Like, your dollar counts a lot it really 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 does so thank you for everyone who's doing that but even just the people who all you do is listen that's tremendous too because as you know that helps us sell sponsorships on the show and that helps keep us in business here so please hit me up on twitter at dan benjamin on twitter hit me up ask me your questions i'll do my best to answer them and uh to everybody who's uh, about to listen to this on new year's eve have a happy new year if you're listening to this after i hope you had a good one And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, another episode. Thanks so much for listening. See you soon.